transfiguration is so odd because it's so different. And our season now in which we find ourselves in our sanctuary now is so different. It's so different that I um, started to climb up here and preach since we're talking about mountaintops and experiences, but alas, OSHA and insurance. And to whomever laid hands on this last week as part of your revival experience, thank you. The organ is now working. I appreciate you doing that. We are concluding our sermon series entitled Revive Us because God has laid on, on my heart uh, leading up to this new calendar year that, that for several weeks we needed to focus on what it means to breathe again and to take steps forward again as a church family and as a community and as a country. And I think all of that begins with God's people and the responsibility that we have in living out our baptismal vows, the covenants that we make together through those vows and through the vows of membership. So today is the transfiguration. We have been in Mark's gospel for several weeks. We'll be in Mark's gospel for several, many more weeks. But we've been in the first part of Mark's gospel, and now all of a sudden we find ourselves in chapter 9. It's an interesting leap that we are making on this transfiguration Sunday. I look forward to sharing this text with you. I invite you as you're able to stand for the reading and the blessing, the hearing, the receiving of God's holy word, the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Listen for the word of the Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain apart by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwelling places, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And Peter did not know what to say because he was terrified. And then a cloud overshadowed them, and from that cloud came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What is the strangest, the funniest, the most memorable worship service you ever attended? Do you have it in mind? I, I posed this question. I did some crowdsourcing this past week in preparation for today's sermon. So I posed this question on, on Facebook, and apparently I opened up some floodgates because your responses, they just came gushing forward. I, I think I tapped a, a deep well, a deep vein. There's something about us being able to celebrate or to talk about a past worship experience, even in the present, in something like a, a Facebook chat, because it all points to our future hope. I heard excitement in the voices 
that posted responses. And I think it's because we all long to be back together. And no one is more ready to flip the light switch and say, come on back home, come to worship. No one is more ready to say that than I am. We're a few weeks away from that. And I can't wait for, for that day. It will be one of these defining moments when we all get together again. It'll be emotional. I'm making no promises, but there is a box up here just in case. Right. And I make no apologies for that. Do you? I miss being together. I miss talking about memorable moments, but I've enjoyed reading about things like uh, flaming heads of hair during Christmas Eve candlelight services. I loved reading the story about the, the baptistry that uh, forgot to put in the drain plug and and so during the baptism, all, all the congregation could hear was the sucking sound of, of the spiraling of water. I mean, if you're going for full immersion, you only have a small window of time. You've got to make that happen before all the water's gone, right? Right? There was a story about bats flying in the sanctuary, not this one, but in someone else's story. And Dr. C, the only remedy for it was a hymnal that went, wow smashed those bats in the name of Jesus. There was another friend who shared a story about a literal squirrel that, that went berserk, but it wasn't a Ray Stevens. I don't know what's, what the deal is with all the animals that, that are in worship, but I will say this. In our 845 service, I, I spoke this very story about squirrels and bats, and Lucas was hit in the head with a ladybug. And I was cascaded by wasps that I called down. They're clearly attracted to hot air. You can't make these things up. I heard stories about ministers entering worship on zip lines. I, I heard pastoral stories how at the start of worship, all of the bulletins were tossed aside because the previous night or Two nights prior, a teenager had died in a car wreck or committed suicide. And at that point, it, the worship experience turns into a family reunion where the congregation loves one another. And my heart is heavy this morning, as, as are many hearts around the city of Montgomery, because I know our brothers and sisters at Fraser Memorial United Methodist Church are gathered in worship right now, and they're grieving. Their director of music, Wayne Sigler, a good friend, he passed away from the coronavirus this week. I spent many hours planning worship for the annual conference with Wayne, and there's no one who, who understood and was passionate like Wayne Sigler. We will miss him. So many of the responses that you shared about your strangest, funniest, most memorable experiences, they had to do with communion or, you know, chalices flying this way or, or that way or, or chewing on entirely too, too much bread. We don't do that on purpose, by the way. Well, maybe sometimes we do that on purpose. All of these experiences in our worship are part of our story. 
We didn't anticipate that these strange and funny and memorable things would, would happen in worship. We just thought it would be like the previous Sunday or the Sunday before that or the Sunday before that. But we showed up and, and Lord, have mercy. Something happened and we, we left a little bit differently. These are the stories. Flying ladybugs and descending wasps that we'll tell our children and our grandchildren. They will carry them forward as well. What I noticed about each comment in response to the strangest, the funniest, and the most memorable worship service that you had ever attended, and you can go back and see all of those comments. There's, there's plenty of them to read. They shared something in common. They, they, brought, they brought one they want one theme in common, and that was relationships. And the idea, I, to my best of my memory, I don't recall any of those comments, any of your comments focusing on, hey, I, I remember this time I was in worship by myself. Because that's not how we do life. That's not how we're designed to worship. Worship is corporate. Our time together is time that's marked by one another, by the person to your left and your right and in front of you, the people who are not quite here yet. It's our family. Worship is a reminder not to take ourselves so seriously, but maybe to take God a little bit more seriously between Sundays. And in worship, however strange or funny or memorable it might be, we're reminded that we're not quite home yet, but that we are exactly home with our family here. So I suppose that Peter, James, and John would rank the transfiguration of Jesus as the strangest or the most memorable worship service they ever attended. I mean, think about it. They saw dead people. Peter made this hysterical comment about building some condos up there on the mountain. And Jesus, he didn't even look the same anymore from that point on. Isn't that crazy? Transfiguration is odd. It's a big word. It's strange. What do you make of this text? It's about, in part, the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, flanking Jesus on, on either side to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of all prophecies. It shows us the Jewishness of Jesus, that he's wrapped in, in Torah. In some way, it, it shows us, or it begins to glimpse, it begins to show us that in Jesus, we have access to God's great big family. That's part of my theology of the cross, by the way, is that Jesus is showing us through his love through becoming this gate, hey, I want you to be part of, of God's family too, all the world. And so we go from the mountain of transfiguration to, a, to another mountain. I want, you to, I want you to hang on to that theme for just a minute because that journey is, is quite important. In the Gospel of Mark, it moves so fast. We've said that. We get, we get his baptism and his calling and it's casting out demons and all these things. They just happen. Boom, 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 boom. And then we leap to chapter 9. And, and all of these things, they build up to the transfiguration of Jesus. Because once they come down the mountain and set their sights on Calvary, the story is, is completely different. It's about a mission 
that's completely different, that they don't quite fully understand until they stand, the disciples do, the top of the mountain. So Mark chapter 9 becomes a pinnacle of the gospel. And it all happens in, in a worship experience where two or three are gathered and they walk away differently. Also, in the center of Mark's gospel is this ninth chapter, the transfiguration of Jesus. In the center of this story, which means in the center of Mark's gospel is a very important phrase. There's a voice that says, listen. What does it mean to you that the very center, the heart of Mark's gospel is the transfiguration of Jesus where, where they go up one way, they come down differently, but is this word, listen. How much time do you spend listening? Because God says, listen to Jesus. This is my son. Listen to Jesus. Maybe there's something about revival that has to do with, with listening. Maybe that's a practice we can pick up, a discipline for these next 40 days we can, we can carry with us to, to find an opportunity. No matter the mountain, no matter the valley, we can pause to listen. Today's focus, though, is to recharge. And I think that's an important word as we think about revival, as we think about revive us, the prayer that we've been praying. Revive us, Lord. Breathe life into us. Well, it has to do with, with recharging our batteries. It has to do with holy expectation. How did you approach the hilltop today at 2416 West Cloverdale Park? Did you approach it? Did you ascend it? Did you, did you arrive here with holy expectation? I hope so. But I hope you'll leave a little differently with missional rejuvenation because it's only from this vantage point that we can see the needs of our community. That we can see how not only we need to be recharged, but we need to recharge, as in charge against all forms of evil and injustice and oppression. We need to charge and recharge the gates of hell. Because in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, listen, disciples, even the gates of hell will not be able to stand against you we come to worship to recharge, to charge against, to charge straight into, to recharge into the needs of our neighbor, the ones we like, the ones we don't like. And so worship, it's our charging station. It's where we, we power up. And sometimes it, it's through collective pain Sometimes it's through humor. Sometimes it's through strange and, and humorous stories, organs that are resurrected and working all of a sudden. Sometimes it's through these very moments that we receive the next bar of power. We recharge to go headlong into the needs of this world. I, I want us to think about something else related to this text. It, it should not be lost on us that Jesus is flanked on either side by Moses and by Elijah, two pillars of the faith in the Old Testament, right? But we have to ask ourselves, what did Moses do and what did Elijah do? Why those two? Well, they represent the law and the prophets. I've said that. But what did Moses literally do? He led God's people out of oppression, out of bondage, out of slavery, out of entrapment, out of this 
the shackling to the pharaonic system of Egypt, this power grab system of Egypt. And what did Elijah do? What did all prophets do? They speak truth to power. So I just wonder if from the vantage point atop the hill, from the vantage point in, in worship each and every week, we, we look out and know that we have inherited this story just like Jesus to say, you know, there's some work. There's some work that needs to be done. There's some folks who are bound up in this world. There's some, some folks who are enslaved by relationships and by debt. There's some, some folks who are oppressed by all sorts of evil in this community. We, we have some work to do. Maybe it's a call to speak truth to power that oppresses other people. Maybe that's why Moses and Elijah were there. I think at the end of the day, if we're going to be honest, the true revival, it happens when we begin to, to see worship and to see our, our beautiful space here as not a serve us station, but a service station where we come each week to be refueled and to be recharged and to receive our multi-point inspection so we can go back out into the world. This is the place, worship, where we do touch and goes because the mission is not here, it's out there. That's why Peter got it wrong. We're not building three dwelling places, Peter. It's the wrong kind of a building project. It's the wrong kind of, of construction project that, that's happening, Peter, because the mission of Christ is about building people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, those who will hear their baptismal vows and will repent and resist and do whatever it takes to bring hope into the community. It's not lost on me either that there's scaffolding behind me right now, that our whole campus is under renovation. But we're not renovating this space to be a permanent residence. We're renovating it to help people power up, to refuel, to recharge, to deepen roots, to connect with the Almighty, to find how blessed we are, but then to go down the hill here and bless others and help heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons. All of that begins, friends, with a very simple acknowledgement. This whole series has been touching on it at, at various points, but it's this acknowledgement that we cannot be our own power source to recharge. What we do when we find ourselves running on empty is we look for fast food, fast living. We pass fast judgments because it's so much easier to tear somebody down and we think that that will recharge us. And I've been thinking about this little contraption right here, this device right here. Man, when it gets on 30% charge, I don't know about you, but I'm looking for a place to plug it in. I'm looking for a power station, right? I might even go to my car if I don't have a cord and sit there in the car and work until I get enough juice. I'll do whatever it takes. So why is it when our physical health, our mental health, our spiritual health, our relational health, when it gets to 30% or 25% and we say, oh, I've still got plenty of juice, why don't we recharge at that point? 
Or when we're in relationship with someone else and we just see how depleted they are, we see the fatigue in their eyes, we, we hear the gruffness in their voice, we know they're staying up entirely too late because of anxiety. When we hear that, why don't we say, hey, I, you need to power up. You need to recharge. So revival begins with this admission of powers, powerlessness, this sobering up, if you will. And what I mean by that is that we all need to sober up and realize that the way to the cross, the way of the cross is hard work. That we sober up from the inebriating constraints of pride that prevent us from seeing the unseen and hearing the voices of the voiceless or grabbing the hand of someone who's doing some soul searching and saying, hey, I know where there's a charging station. It's called the church. I've read back through um, the 12 steps of AA this week. Someone gave them to me many years ago and I I think they are a great discipline to take up. They're specific to Alcoholics Anonymous, but they're really quite an interesting read if you think about worship and your faith and your relationship with God and family and others and one another. And the first one says that we admit that we are powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. And then it says, uh, number two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves is the only thing that could restore us to sanity. And then we made a decision to turn over our will and our lives to the care of God and to understand Him. And then this last one, after you go through all of those steps, the last one says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we then tried to carry that message to others who were struggling to help them find their way. Steps one and, and 12 are so important to this series. They're important to us finding uh, revival in our lives and with our family and with our church and our community and, and as a country, and that is we're powerless. We need to stop trying to be our own source of power. The pursuit of that power, the, the sin of, of certitude, the, the craving that, that we all have, that if we draw a line in the sand and say, I'm right, you're wrong, it's just exhausting us. It's tearing us apart. It's not who we were designed to be. And I think that's, that was Peter's impulsiveness, you know. He just spoke something. Hey, let's build some tents. Because he didn't know what to say. And, and we do that. We, we take it in a different form. We speak so quickly to which God at the center of this gospel and at the center of this text says, hold up. I need you to listen to Jesus. He is the only way. How is your worship posture friends. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, he preached at Candler one time over in Cannon Chapel, and he began by telling this story of a, a young priest who had just come into the ministry, and he was being uh, mentored and shepherded in a very affluent parish. Uh, there was an older priest who was also assigned there, but this, this young priest, he had the task of preaching his very first public sermon. So he wanted to wow his congregation. And the way that he wanted to wow his congregation was by not, not using any notes at all. That's dangerous. <laughs> so he practiced, 
day in, day out. He would even get in front of the mirror and work on his, his gestures, you know, because some preachers like to move around a lot in the pulpit. So he would practice all of this. And, and his big day came, and he was, he was seated down here, and he, and he came up, and he threw back his shoulders, and he strutted up to the pulpit. You know what happened next? He went completely blank. <laughs> so blank, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't utter a word. He was terrified. He was white-knuckled. He was holding on. And, and so he did all he could do. He turned and he walked with his proverbial tail between his legs. He, he walked back down the, the steps and he passed the old priest who said these words to him. He said, if if you had gone up the way that you came down, you would have come down the way that you had gone up. Humility, powerlessness, an admission that we want to change the world. We want to know our God. We want to know others deeply. We want to know ourselves more fully. It begins by saying we need to be filled up. Fill us up, Lord. Lent begins Wednesday. We're making a 40-day journey from one mountain, the mountain of transfiguration, to another mountain. It's called Golgotha, Calvary. And on today's mountain, it shook. On Calvary, when Jesus died, the earth shook. On the Mount of Transfiguration, from which the vantage point for the mission is, is seen, the, the clouds darkened the earth, and at the moment Jesus died, there was a dark cloud that darkened the earth. On transfiguration, there was a voice that came down that said, this is my son, listen to him. And on another mountain, there was a voice that said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do to you. They don't know what they're doing to themselves. They don't know what they're doing to others. How will you prepare your hearts, and your minds, your hands, and your feet to go from one mountain to another mountain on which we will see Jesus in full display. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, fill us up. Plug the holes in our lives. Seal up the cracks but only long enough for us to go out and to break ourselves open and to pour ourselves out once again for others, as you did us. Lord, as we prepare now to make this 40-day journey, remind us that we do not go at it alone, that you are with us and that we have each other. So recharge us, Lord, as we charge back into the needs of, of our community and follow the way of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.